Welcome back, Friday Spot Nation. Mike here. In July of 2019, we welcomed back Robert Toller of the Toller Smith LLP law firm. And he came on with a specific mission in mind, and that was to teach the industry about one thing specifically, how to avoid false advertising lawsuits. So you'll learn a good bit here, even if you're not a brand, but if you are a brand, it is definitely advisable that you get a lawyer such as Robert Toller or someone who has expertise in the supplement industry, not just any lawyer, uh, not even like a food lawyer. You wanna get a supplement specific lawyer, and Robert Toller is one of the experts in this domain. So once again, Robert Toller, episode number two. For example, you can't put the letters RX on your product because really? that implies that they're pharmaceutical. Welcome to Price Plow. Welcome to Price Plow. I am more than honored to have Robert Toller of the Toller Smith LLP in Los Angeles, California with us today. And we're going to actually get into a very specific topic. Robert's been on the channel before. We've talked about a few very interesting things. Uh, but today we want to drill down and learn a little bit about, uh, and, you know, we've actually been emailing for months and talking about where are things going? Where is Where are the hot buttons right now? Uh, not only in all the supplement industry, because this channel here is, you know, mostly dedicated to sports, fitness, nutrition, uh, and that kind of thing, but also just in general in terms of marketing claims. Uh, but mostly in the supplement industry, I want to talk about false advertising claims. So that's kind of the what we decided that it would be very interesting to educate some people on. And so, Robert, welcome to the channel, and uh, please feel free to introduce yourself again and let us know uh, a little bit about your background and what you're doing and how how we could help. And if, if this is like specific to California or if this is specific to you know the, the whole nation? Well, my name is Robert Teller. I've been on the show before and thank you again for having me on the channel, I should say. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, my background is for the last five years has been dedicated in large part to false advertising of nutritional supplements. And I've been on the plaintiff side of that for a very long time and certainly we've had some defense cases as well. But you know, kind of what you were saying, we were talking about some issues that we've seen arise. And I think one of the biggest problems I've identified is that there's just a lack of education out there and, and a lack of the ability for companies, especially that have products to know how to market their products correctly. And I think they could avoid a lot of problems uh, with uh, civil lawsuits and what have you uh, if they do things properly. And I think Certainly, as you know from the recent indictments, there are some people who don't want to do things properly and uh, purposely don't want to do things properly. But there are a lot of people who deserve to run an honest business, want to run an honest business, and don't want to get into any trouble. And there are ways that they can help themselves by taking some initiative. And uh, that's really what I think is missing in the marketplace right now. And that's why I think this is just a great idea for for a, a video. Okay, so so I guess right now what we should do is just kind of target our demographic then, um, because okay, obviously this on this channel a lot of people you know come here and watch you know supplement reviews, what's the new protein powder taste like, and all that. This is obviously a little bit more laser targeted. So um, give me an example of what it, it sounds like you want to kind of cater to the people who really are trying to do good and can't understand or don't understand the full extent of the laws. So we're like, we're, we're talking to maybe like small business owners or someone who's about to put out a label or a website or something like that. I, I think so. Uh, there are a lot of people who may just want to do it as a hobby and they want to put out a, a supplement or a product that's just something they enjoy. I know you have a lot of your uh, clientele 
and the people who visit your site are people who just like experimenting on themselves and figure, maybe figure something out and you know maybe they want to put that product out and the barriers to entry are pretty low in the supplement industry mm-hmm. you don't need a lot of money to get a product out even if you want to sell it locally but that does you still have to comply with the laws obviously and anytime you're offering a product for sale particularly a product for ingestion that humans consume uh, you have to be really careful and so one of the biggest barriers that's sort of the, a hidden barrier is are the legal barriers and that is compliance with the law uh, compliance with quite frankly a very complicated set of laws that uh, even people who want to comply sometimes have problems okay and so when you so when you mention laws and we're going to be like mostly talking about supplements for instance we think of like Deshea 1994 but you're not exactly we're talking about advertising and Deshea doesn't get into that Deshea talks about like what can be you know what can be you know called a supplement but you're more talking about the advertising, the claims side of things, labeling, you know, all that stuff. So what laws are we talking about? And are they – these are national laws, right? There are national laws. There are state laws uh, for the most part. Um, we can get into those. Um, California is the biggest one, obviously. Mm-hmm. The Republic of California, <laughs> uh, whose motto is Eureka, uh, is, uh, is first – is paramount uh, in – first out of the gates in, in creating new laws with respect to foods and supplements and also an enforcement of those laws. And that's important not just because uh, there are laws in the books but because it's uh, one of the biggest marketplaces in the United States and probably the biggest state. Uh, so you have example Prop- Proposition 64 which many people are familiar with. But there are a host of other laws that govern labeling of organic goods, for example, that exist in California, don't exist nation- nationally. Hmm. So to answer your question, the primary law, I would say, is Deshea because when the FTC or the FDA looks into your business practices, that's what they're going to use. And it has a set of uh, regulations in there about what claims you can make about your product. So it's not necessarily marketing per se, but to the extent you make claims in your marketing, which of course everyone does uh, in order to sell their product, they have to comply with Deshea. And there's a whole lot of mystery about what is Deshea compliant and what is not. Mm-hmm. For example, most of your uh, listeners may not know that it's actually uh, – CBDs are actually a drug. You can't even sell them as supplements. Right. That's uh, a hot topic. We probably have a whole video on CBD. I know a lot of people want to talk about that. Uh, not sure how, how much you'd like to get into that specifically versus – talking about like, yeah, some of the, I, I think what, what might be a good starter is like kind of a story, like what, what are the common mistakes you're seeing made that could be kind of avoided that you would tell a, a potential client or a client like, whoa, you know, the, right off the bat, you see this all the time that you think maybe is something you should get away from, or I'm willing to dive right into CBD as well. <laughs> well, we, we can get the CBDs. The problem with CBDs is regulation is such a moving target mm-hmm. and everything's changing on a statewide level. Uh, and on a national level, uh, very rapidly. So uh, I'm not sure that any advice I could provide there would, would be any use uh, within the time this actually is posted and the time <laughs> is taken because it's moving very rapidly. And CBDs are a good example of some of the common – we can use that sort of as a context for some of the common mistakes because I see it being made in CBDs more, more than anything right. because so many new players are moving into that marketplace and they're making these common mistakes. And with CBD specifically, you have claims, for example, that it's going to help you sleep or it's going to cure insomnia. 
And the FDA is very clear that you cannot, if you're selling a nutritional supplement, uh, you cannot uh, claim that it cures or mitigates a disease. And people might say, well, insomnia, is, everyone has can't sleep every now and then. Well, the FDA has a very broad view of what a disease is, and insomnia is one of those things. For, so, for example, if you're marketing a CBD or many sports supplements will have a product that will help uh, their customers go to sleep that will contain melatonin and whatnot, you're really not allowed to say that it's going to stop your insomnia um, uh, uh, or that uh, or, or things like that that are meant to, to cure a disease. And it gets more complicated than that. But one rule of thumb that I can provide is don't mention any disease or ailment whatsoever. Right. Um, so if, you, if you're saying, you know, this is going to cure your heart condition or this is uh, going to aid in depression, something else we see with CBDs a lot, it's going to cure your anxiety. Um, you simply cannot make any claims about diseases. And the FDA is very clear about that. So. Okay, so I guess it sounds like you know more caution is required. But you you mentioned even like sleep, so helping you sleep. What if I have a, you know a double blinded placebo controlled study showing improved sleep parameters? A sleep isn't you know bad sleep doesn't sound like a disease necessarily, or crappy sleep is not a an official disease claim, is it? Like how, where where would that yeah, get broken down? This is where it gets really tricky, and this is where you really need a lawyer to make sure <laughs> it's correct. And uh, that is a self-serving comment in some, some ways, but it's really true because some comments like, for example, relieves chest pain. Um, some people might think there's no disease claim there, but the FDA uses that as a specific example of an implied disease claim. In other words, you have angina, you have some sort of heart condition, otherwise why would it matter? So you really have to kind of think these through and you really have to have, have an understanding of the FDA's position about various diseases and various claims. Another one we see a lot is it improves your joints. Um, uh, again, that would assume that you have arthritis or something like that. So those are implied disease claims. And uh, for those claims, uh, you would not be able to make them. Now, uh, it gets to the point even where uh, you can't even make claims in your trademark that are implied disease claims. So you can't even say, for example, uh, joint number one, uh, because that would in turn imply if all you're selling is a supplement, for example, like you know uh, vitamins and amino acids that ha happen to help with your joints, uh, you can't you can't call it that because uh, the FDA would consider those to be implied disease claims. So it gets very tricky, and without someone helping to guide you, uh, you would get into trouble if the FDA were to take a close look at your practices. Okay, but let's say I'm running a, a smaller local practice. So you know, it seems like a lot of the CBD is sold. There's a lot of things going on with CBD, but a lot of it, is, for instance, is starting at local levels. You have local, even like pet shops and stuff, selling some stuff. If you know, what is the likelihood of the FDA checking that? You know, like there seems to be a risk reward in that more aggressive terminology is going to make more sales, but. I don't know. It seems like there's almost like a fine line. If if we were to lawyer up and spend money to lawyer up, we're also going to be told to to tone it down. It sounds like, and then business might be worse. Like, what? How do you reconcile reconcile all that? Well, that's really the business owner's decision. Mm. Uh, the um, the risk that is run in sports supplement companies if they're selling dicey uh, supplements is that not only will they 
probably get a civil suit. But as you saw recently with the indictments, there's a risk, albeit intermittent, that the government's going to come down on you. Mm-hmm. And when the government comes down on you, even if they give you a chance at first, um, they don't really play games after that. And you know, just looking at the recent indictment that came down uh, with respect to Blackstone, uh, the one of the unindicted co-conspirators uh, was a retailer. So my, I can only surmise from that that you, you know they start off with people who are making these claims, uh, and so you can, in other words, you can get into trouble even if you're not the target of an investigation. Um, you, you know, you may just be caught in uh, an investigation as a starting point, and so it's a, it's a it's a risk that many people are going to take regardless, just because of how the laws and how the enforcement is, stru- is structured, and that if there's a reward, people are going to take the risk. But uh, there are people who don't want to take the risk, and I think that for those people, they uh, they should. Uh, um, have the ability to have effectively insurance on whether or not what they're saying is okay. And Benjamin Franklin said an ounce of prevention is worth something, something. I forget the, (laughs) you get, yeah, Yeah, right, right. So, okay. So in some of these indictments, you see, um, unindicted conspirators. So basically we assume is a store and the feds come knocking on the door and they say, Hey, what, why are you selling this or whatever? And, the store then is most likely cooperating and they are uh, most likely like here, you know, going to give up. Here's the information that was the distributor gave us or whatever. And then the feds might go up the chain. So a, a store can like a local president still can Mike's local shop can still get pulled into some of this mess. If you're, if you're working with them, like what if, how, I, I guess it's difficult for a, a local store owner to understand then, uh, what can their employees say and what, you know, what have they been told to say? Sure. Well, I can explain to you exactly how a lot of these happen. I don't know how any specific right. investigation happens, but I know how many of them happen uh, just from, uh, you know, other experience I've had uh, and other colleagues I have that work in that space. You're, you're, um, you're a little bit quiet there. Can you speak up a I'll touch? Or? I'll speak up. Okay. Um, the, uh, Typically, the investigations are triggered by an incident, and what the first point you go to if there's an incident. So, for example, if someone takes DNP mm-hmm. and gets hurt, and the invest, you know, the cops get there or whatever, and they see like a bottle of DNP with a name on it, that's going to be the first retailer that they contact, mm-hmm. and ask that person, "Where'd you get this from?" And then logically, uh, that's how it goes up the chain because. Quite frankly, I, I don't think someone in the FDA is, has an office who's just you know Googling around, seeing what's most popular in the sports supplement space. It happens when people are hurt, and then they investigate up the chain that way typically. And that's just really just using uh, common sense. So it puts the onus on the retailers, whether they're internet retailers or whether you know it's Bob's Muscle Stop or whatever it is, you know, like – they have to be careful about what they're carrying, make sure that it's compliant, and uh, uh, because they often get caught up in this sort of thing, and certainly they're not—they're not—they uh, don't get a 
any breaks when it comes to this sort of thing. Gotcha. So a lot of times we see uh, one one phrase I see come up a lot are structure function claims. Can you explain to us what a structure function claim is and how it applies to a tub of protein powder? Sure. Well, we, we'll see this a lot in the sports supplement industry. Most sports supplement companies will have a muscle building agent in their product line. Uh, they'll have something for recomp. Uh, they'll have some. They may have a sleep aid. They may have a pre-workout. But you see, you know, four or five categories pop up all the time on product lines for sports supplements, and anything that helps you gain mass is, you know, a mass gainer, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, is intended to build build muscle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whatever agent is in there to bring, build muscle, um, it could be something like protein powder, where the evidence is very clear that protein helps you build muscle. Um, just like, uh, creatine, same thing. Mm-hmm. The evidence is very clear. Um, so in those cases, uh, you can say you can, because it's substantiated by evidence, uh, and studies and with those two categories, it's almost, almost goes without saying, uh, you could say, uh, you can say, you know, it's intended to, uh, impact, uh, mu- you know, the effect is muscle growth. Uh, but you have to be very careful about the way you say it. In other words, and, and the wording of it is, is very is, – is complicated in and of itself. You cannot affect the structure or function of any uh, part of the human body in, in a supplement. And if you do make a claim about a structure or function, you have to have substantiation for it. In other words, you have to have the studies that demonstrate it. Uh, if not, uh, let's say you're selling melatonin uh, for sleep and everyone knows melatonin uh, helps you sleep. Um, but let's say there were no studies about it, uh, that were to the sat- satisfaction of the FDA. This is where it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you would have to word it in such a way to make it compliant so that you're not saying, um, it's going to have a particular effect or a particular function, uh, when that is not substantiated. So you see it all the time with, uh, muscle gainers that are not necessarily, Protein powders in in the sports supplement industry will say like, we got the best gains. Don't worry about it. You know, the no side effects. You know, no liver toxicity. All of that stuff is completely out the window mm-hmm. if you want to, uh, assuming that there there aren't these effects because those are all medical claims. If you're saying it's going to have it's going to change your metabolic system like a lot of fat burners. If you're saying it's going to have uh, mitigated side effects, or if you're making representations about the side effects. Um, you have to be very careful about the way you do that. And it's really a fact-specific inquiry. So there's no blanket rule as to how you can say these things, which makes it all the more challenging. Okay, so uh, what if I ha- what if a, like a larger brand, they have an actual study on that exact product? Or, do, uh, yeah, like where, where do the studies get broken down? Can you have, if I have a product with both just creatine and beta alanine and I have two separate studies, can I start making claims on a product that contains just creatine and beta alanine? Or do I then like really want, if I'm going to make claims, do I need a study on my specific product? I've always kind of wondered like where, uh, and it might be on a, it depends basis, but like where does the FDA really get up in it arms is, on some of this stuff? It is a depends basis. And let's say you have beta alanine in a product and you're making claims about the synergistic effects of those two things, right? Like when you combine these two, you know, we know that it's going to have this great result. Uh, and there are no studies about those, uh, the way those two compounds interact. Well, that, that would be improper. Whereas separately, if you're making claims about them, 
there would not be a problem. So it is case specific. Um, you know, you typically in the sports supplement world, the products sold are combinations of various ingredients. So it's not like you go to the, uh, the Walgreens on the corner and it's like vitamin C. Uh, these are, these are compounds that in the, like in the example you gave are intended to have different effects like pre-workouts are intended to have vasodilators in addition to stimulants in most mm -hmm. cases. And so, uh, you they're tend to have two different effects, so there's two act different active ingredients, which is not to say you can't say it has those two separate effects because everyone knows, for example, caffeine gives you energy. I don't think you're not going to get any trouble for that. Um, and similarly, the amino acids that are commonly in pre-workouts have been well demonstrated to show that they increase blood flow to the muscles. So um, it's, it, it is a little tricky in that the way growing companies and the, you know, five to twenty million dollar range gross revenue they're at a point where you know they may be making formulas uh quickly or on with without really having this in mind and they may be creating these formulas based on their own experience or or other things like that and they don't have this aspect of it in, in mind and i think the real purpose of why i want to be here today is is to make sure it is in people's mind before it's too late because it, it's it's something that could end up being much more costly uh, to a growing business that wants to do right. Right. So it seems like um, when you mentioned it earlier, civil suits. So like, okay, if you're a $5 million revenue company, it's not small by any means, but that most likely isn't FDA's top priority at that point. Um, but a lot, you know, this is an ego driven industry. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of warring factions and, and spinoffs and things that, you know, it's whatever, drama. And so it sounds like you almost – are you saying that we're, we're looking out for more for civil suits than, it, you know, people suing each other at this point a little bit more? You think is – that, is that in our future, you think? I predict that there's going to be a lot more civil litigation in this space over the next few years. I predict there's going to be a lot more state enforcement in the forms of attorney generals taking action and to get back to your point the fda uh it it will get on your radar if you're a five million dollar company okay. i've seen it i've seen it happen before because when the fda takes action on a particular product like for example austrian as it did in october of uh 2017 mm -hmm. uh it it really took three companies and it's it, it didn't choose them because they were the three biggest it, it what the fda tries to do according to their press releases is try to take a snapshot of the industry. So they'll take a big player, they'll take a smaller internet player, and then they'll take a brick-and-mortar retailer. And it's really, there's, there's no one really knows, or at least I don't know, uh, what they choose to determine who's going to be on their radar. So I think everyone will be wise to, to just be careful. And all of those rules are really meant to, to keep people safe. So you know, if you are someone who wants to take that into consideration, you, it's not just a matter of complying with, with, with the law per se. It's The laws are in place for a reason to ensure that um, safety, everyone's on the same playing field. And so um, uh, I would say everyone's at risk, but not only from the federal government. I think what you said was true with respect to the FTC, which is a Federal Trade Commission. I think they, they'll start looking at companies once they're in the $100 million in revenue range. Oh, really? Okay. So that's, yeah, that's a lot of out of our wheelhouse, but we've seen it before. Uh, 
you know, Herbalife's and a lot of a lot of the uh, way larger companies and brands. So when when you're at that level, you likely already have a, a massive legal team. But um, what is the FTC's role compared to the FDA's in terms of um, in terms of like the false advertising type suits? Well, there there there's a lot of overlap, and the FTC applies many of the FDA. The applies DSHA. Um, the Fair Trade Com- Commission governs. Uh, marketing specifically so they will go after some of the commercials you might see at night that are making claims about supplements direct to consumer advertising is one big area of concern for them uh, they'll go after you know I think they went after don't quote me on this but for our energy because they're you know making certain certain claims so really big ticket items that are nation nationwide impact with respect to how they advertise their products. In many cases, they're applying the same uh, FDA regula- regulations, but the FTC has broader powers. Uh, the, the FDA has the ability to investigate, uh, uh, police to a limited extent, and refer cases out to uh, the Department of Justice. And the FDA is its, is its own uh, uh, enforcement arm. The FTC so, is its own enforcement? So getting a letter right. from the FTC is... Uh, much more serious and well they're both serious obviously but yeah i think i think they could both end up uh bad uh or or not bad you know depending on the circumstances but they obviously any letter from any governmental agency should be taken seriously but i do think that civil side of it too is uh is is just going to be uh i i think there are more risks now than ever Gotcha. And um, all right, cool. So some of the things you you mentioned one thing earlier on, uh, and you might have some expertise in this given your location in California, but you mentioned organic. Like, what's the whole story with uh, organic, non-GMO? And then I could even like ask like, is there really such a thing as keto certified or keto, you know, paleo certified? But I think organic and um, and non-GMO might be a little bit more more pressing. It seems like right. Well. You know, it's a, the key, you may raise a good example with the keto because that's that's sort of a new thing. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, California has its own statute defining what organic is and saying exactly what you could what when you can call your product organic. Now, if you've noticed in, at your local supermarket, they have products ranging from shampoos on soaps all the way down to supplements that are organic. Mm-hmm. It's just something that people want, um, and. Uh, in California, there are rules against it. Seventy percent of the ingredients have to be organic, or else you have to detail on the label what those ingredients are. And most people don't know that, and most people that have a product in California with an organic label are going to be sued for it when, if they get big enough, because there's a, a whole lot of lawyers out here as well yeah. who, are, who are just waiting for that opportunity. Uh, and the laws, the plaintiff's laws here within the state are very uh, sympathetic to consumers uh, who, where these class actions are brought. So, those- oh, sorry for interrupting, but so California is, is more strict and they're at 70% organic to put a big organic on the front of the label versus like what, what's the rest of the nation roughly? I don't, have, I don't happen to know what the federal regulation is on that. Uh, I don't even know if it is defined. But um, with all these categories, um, whether it's uh, calling something organic or making specific claims, uh, there are state statutes that oftentimes parallel DSHA or have additional 
subject matter on top of Dichet, as California does. California has the exact same thing as Dichet, so if someone wanted to sue you in California, they could simply use that law and um, uh, the additional provisions of that law um, and have a field day in California alone. Um, so it's it's very tricky, and I think people now are becoming a lot more sensitive to the supplement marketplace because it's grown so big. I mean, uh, it was only a few years ago it would take up half an aisle, and now it's like two full aisles at your local store. So people, uh, the, the 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 good news is the industry is growing, mm-hmm. but as the industry grows, uh, there are going to be more opportunistic uh, plaintiffs' lawsuits brought on behalf of consumers, leaving aside the competitor lawsuits, as you as you mentioned. I think that's kind of a, a separate thing because those, like you said, it could be just because of particular personalities in, in the industry and whatnot. I think the bigger danger are the consumer lawsuits, which can be brought by any consumer who just says, oh, you said this was organic and it wasn't. And it's as simple as that. So, so there's a lot of danger out there. And I think as, uh, as consumer plaintiff side attorneys become more sensitive or become more aware of it, they will all swarm to this area. And I think we'll see it in, in large measure. And having defended some of those cases, I can tell you that they can be defended, but being prevented is a lot better. Um, and, and that's really kind of the idea. Right, and showing some good faith and all that. So, okay, let's let me give you a little hypothetical situation that could be completely kind of off the mark. But let's say I have I have Mike's Texas store or whatever here, and I'm I I have an organic product that's legal in Texas and a bunch of other states. Am I am I open? But it's not a legally organic product in California, which may be stricter or something like that. Am I in trouble if I merely ship that product into California and that consumer wants to go after me, or does it have to? Do I would I have to have like a presence in California, where I actually like you know physically have an office or a store or a product on the shelves in California? Like I'm talking about kind of like internet retailing. If you ship to California, are you under the California law at that point? You technically would be, but I think if you're if you have a small brand and you're shipping you know 100 units to California every year, you're not going to be on any. No one's going to sue you oh, right. in California for that, only because there's just not enough sales for, to warrant a lawsuit. But if you're shipping 100,000 units, it's a different story. And if you're doing it every year, then you're a prime target. Um, and so um, in those situations, when you really got to be careful. So to answer your question, it doesn't matter if you're shipping from Texas to California or whether they're in the shelves in California. What matters is where the products are being sold and consumed in, in either scenario. California law would apply. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, what else? Do, okay, yeah. So we actually had a couple of notes here, and so I'm looking down and cheating. But one, uh, so there's some terms though that I thought were pretty interesting here. When you see doctor approved, you see doctors on these ads all the time, especially for uh, supplements targeted towards the elderly. I see a lot of infomercials when you bump the wrong channel and, and everything, and you see the doctors being used for various things. How does how does the whole doctor thing work? Well, you can certainly use a doctor to promote a supplement brand. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, for example, you can't put the letters RX on your product because really? that implies that they're pharmaceutical. Hmm. Right. Part part of this is contextual. So um, there are situations where uh, that's that's okay. 
but in most cases, if you have RX, that implies that it's a prescription drug. Uh, and the FDA has taken a position on that and said, in most cases, it's not going to work. Um, contrary to that, if you put a picture of a heart, as you see in some supplements, um, promotes overall heart health, uh, that would be okay. So a picture of a heart would be fine. But if you have a picture of an EKG, you know, the, the little stat symbol that you get uh, when you go to the doctor, um, that implies that there is, uh, that it is a drug. So the rules don't often make sense. And, you, you know, much like the law, like sometimes you have to take, you have to draw the line somewhere. And, and the line isn't always drawn in a way that is intuitive uh, to people. So if you're going at it on your own, uh, how would you be able to guess that unless you, were, you knew, right, or, or were able to research it or had counsel? And so something like that can get you in trouble. And, uh, you know, and it sounds fickle, but, you know, again, all the rules that were taken as a whole are, are intended to help people. Another thing people don't, don't know really is that uh, what I see a lot in the sports supplement, it says pharmaceutical grade. Well, obviously, that implies that it's a pharmaceutical because why else would it be pharmaceutical grade? So you can't do that, and I see that happen all the time. Even if it is pharmaceutical grade fish oil or something like that. Well, there is really no definition of what pharmaceutical grade is. Pharmaceutical is a pharmaceutical. Gotcha. Whether it contains fish oil or not. So you should should not contain the word pharmaceutical on any supplement because that would just imply that it's a pharmaceutical. So some of it's common sense, but um, other things are not. Uh, like For example, there are transdermals. People have ointments and, and things like that that are being sold now that are intended to build muscles. Um, you can't really have any lotions or anything that is intended to remit the product into your bloodstream. Right. So yeah, it seems like supplements are, you know, have to be like orally ingested It's for, you know, increasing the consumption via diet more so, but there are, you know, obviously lotions and creams are a legal thing. So how, how does that line get blurred? That's actually interesting because, um, you know, there's, there are like pain relieving gels that definitely work and tingle and all that stuff. But where does that apply to supplements? I guess like, where's that line? You have like aspartame or something like that. That's a drug technically. And is registered as a drug, just like aspirin is a drug. And uh, what the company who makes that got it approved by the FDA. Um, but you can't. Uh, if you had a supplement company, you wouldn't be able to come up with a product called, um, you know, DMH, DMHA cream or something <laughs> like that, like uh, or whatever it is, caffeine caffeine cream, uh, because uh, that's a drug that's. It's technically a drug because, as you said, supplements have to be ingested. And if it is intended to uh, alter your uh, internal organs and is applied transdermally, it is ipso facto considered a drug. Now, there are the other the other category is cosmetics. The cosmetics are are strictly intended to uh, for aesthetic purposes only. So that those are also defined as well. So it's the food drug and cosmetic right. act finds all three categories. And we added the supplement category in 1994. Um, but effectively it's not. So the, the transdermals being sold as supplements, um, are, are technically drugs and you can get in big trouble with that. I don't know if you remember, but about a decade ago, a lot of folks got in trouble for that. No, well, not specifically, but yeah, I've seen there was like a caffeine patch at one point, and I'm pretty sure that got blasted off the market, and vit even vitamin B patches, which uh, may or may not have worked, but I guess it's not a supplement 
at the end of the day. Patches and stuff that you're seeing now, those are not supplements. Right. What about like uh, some of the pain relieving gels? I'm not sure if you know, like Arnica gel. That seems like that's getting some claims for pain relief. That might be homeopathic, but I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with that product, so I can't, I can't say. But uh, and you know, with a lot of these products, for example, they may have been registered as a drug, and being being a drug is a whole different process. The whole idea with Duchet is, well, this stuff's already in the food stream, so what we don't need to register it before we sell it. We can just sell it. But then the problem is when people sell drugs as supplements, they're breaking the law. And, you know, it's a serious offense whether or not it's enforced. Now, um, if, if it is a drug that's being sold as a supplement, you're in big problems. But if it's something in the food stream, which is the whole idea with supplements, right, something to supplement the diet that's already in the diet. So vitamin C, for example, is already in oranges. And we're taking a vitamin C supplement because – I'm getting a cold. That that's sort of the basic framework for for what a supplement is, and and of course since then uh, we've seen uh, a lot of different remedies and supplements flourish, and the industry has really flourished under this regulation. So it's not necessarily a bad thing in that it's created an economy that, uh, if if for no other thing, is uh, uh, making people feel a lot better about about themselves, mm-hmm. whether. Whether it's the placebo effect or whether or not, you know, a pre-workout helps people work out, whether uh, uh, a PCT helps people uh, get less sore and get better shape, undoubtedly the supplement industry has done more harm, more uh, more good than harm. I think. Sorry, I'm so used to saying it the other way. Um, well, what's the truth then? I mean, there's a. There's, there's obviously conflicting opinions there, and I, I, I'm always, even as a person in the supplement industry, I'm still always diet first, and I think a lot of people are really missing the mark there. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely more, more good than harm, especially when you have uh, various extreme diets that need a lot of supplementation to not fall apart. Well, not only that, but um, I, I think it's useful because of the placebo effect, if nothing else. If you, someone takes a pill and says it's going to make you feel better. There's no, there's no, there's almost no drug more powerful than the placebo effect, believe it or not. And so uh, you can you can call that whatever uh, you want to call it. But even if uh, a particular compound is not effective, like if I were to, if I had a headache and I took uh, sugar pellets instead of aspirin, uh, there's a likelihood that I will not feel a headache, uh, even if I took the sugar pills. So, just not to say that um, you know supplements are are all sugar pills or fairy dust but um uh it, my my point was e- even if you know some of this stuff isn't is doesn't really help in the end or the studies don't support it fully i think it's it's part of uh american consumerism and, and american um entrepreneurialism to figure it out and they're very because of it i think we've we've reached a lot of conclusions and we've incentivized a lot of supplements companies to 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 achieve certain results, which I think is, is good for humanity in the end. So like so many things in our country and our, our regulation, you have to take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that's my broader view on it. And obviously as a lawyer, you're either protecting someone or you're going after someone. Um, and based on, on our system, that person's either good or bad, you know, <laughs> uh, but in reality, you know, it, it's a m- much more complex picture. Right. I, I would like to get back to – I have one question. There's, um, We were talking about pharmaceutical. And we obviously know that there's some brands with the word pharma in them, the brand name. 
What was it like? And and a lot of them are well established. I know that some of them actually changed their names because they weren't able to get their websites working with credit card processors. Sometimes, like it's not even the FDA, FTC. It's the credit card processors who want nothing to do with some of this business. Um, that's, but that's a, it, yeah, I was wondering if the, yeah, if brands should uh, if having pharma in your brand name is is a potential problem for a new company. Well, the credit card companies, as you know, have really cracked down since 2015, I believe on processing uh, nutritional supplements specifically. And we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, there's very little tolerance they have for anything that's outside of outside of the chalk. And uh, part of that is um, a lot of people are getting hurt from supplements and credit card companies have a great understanding of liability. Uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, to me, I think it, it people who, who have I don't I don't happen to know if, if that in and of itself would be disqualifying, but if it's disqualifying you for from a credit card processor, then it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. You know that would be just a general observation, but uh, legally I I don't know if that's uh, a proper thing or not uh, offhand. But yeah, things like that. I mean, you know the the sports supplement industry in particular is is really geared towards. Um, powerful ingredients and uh, cutting edge ingredients and so forth. And so they, their marketing it, collateral typically has edgier content and edgier claims and even getting to their trademarks and their, uh, the names of their businesses. So from, from the jump, you really have to be careful because if you don't get credit card companies, you, you don't have a company. And if you're persistently going to have this problem, um, you're, you're, you're starting the race 10 meters behind everyone else. So I think, you know, people need to be a whole lot more careful and, and there's just this tendency in the industry to just kind of blame everyone else instead of taking accountability and, and getting counsel from the beginning to help guide you through the process. Mm -hmm. It's not really true of other, other industries. If I, if I were to start, you know, a, a, a taco joint here in, in, in Southern California, I would probably get legal counsel just to determine uh, what I need to do to pass the inspections. Mm -hmm. Very few, sup, you know, new supplement brands do this. So, do you, does your firm? So, how many people are at your firm in the first place? And like, do you have service packages for this, or um, does it just work by like retaining you and then uh, and then paying the hourly fee? Like, how? What is your kind of setup? We have various packages for that, and the easiest setup is to just pay what's called an evergreen retainer, where pay a flat amount and we bill against it for the work that we do, send you a bill at the end of the month. So let's say you give uh, 10000 as an initial retainer, um, then you can call one of our attorneys up at any time when you have questions as things come up because oftentimes things come up on the fly. Right. You have a new distributor or you have uh, a new person you don't know and you want a vet. Attorneys have resources that can help with that process. So if something's a little fishy and you want to be careful – that's really what attorneys are for. Um, and so you can call uh, someone in our office up. They can work, research it for you, and then it would be deducted from that amount. Uh, and you, at the end of the day, if you decided to not engage our firm anymore, you'd get the balance back. So oh, let's cool. say you'd say, like, you know, you give us 10000 We work on it for several hours, and we only bill like $2,000. You'd get $8,000 back whenever you wanted it. So that's a that's typical nice. set. Here for everyone. Yeah, I don't get to keep it. Of course. 
Been lobby. <laughs> you gotta, um, you gotta account for that, buddy. You don't get to go and spend that at the uh, club down the street, do you? I don't like my congressman. You know that does <laughs> not seem fair. But obviously, you're only you're only charged for the work for the time that's actually spent on your matter, and that's an easy way to do it because you, there are some limits on. It's not going to be like a runaway runaway type of thing where, where people run wild with it and then you have the flexibility of calling whenever you need something um, as things come up and uh, that's the easiest way to do it another service we offer is just review of marketing marketing collateral for an entire brand so if you have six SKUs and, and you have a set of collateral that you're going to send to your retailers um, we can review that to ensure compliance and, and that really depends on the package we can put together for you for that it just depends on the number of SKUs so what if I'm an owner? Oh, I got a lot of questions coming up. So what if I'm an owner and the um, my sales guy is a bit aggressive at the retailer and he says some stuff or he emails or texts some stuff that's that's non-compliant? Is, is that still uh, very risky? Because I think a lot of the brand owners want to do right, but then sometimes you have you know commissioned people who might get a little bit on the aggressive side. Are you still liable for that as a business owner? Well, I think if you're handing them materials that say something they're not supposed to say, you can get in a lot of trouble right that. and that's got to be the owner's job to really know what's going out yeah, right just like any business they're your agents at the end of the day and if they say something improper you're going to be liable for them that being said if these are oral representations there's a lot of case law that says or when someone's talking to you verbally they're going to say something different to the next person right so it's it's a whole lot less likely you're going to get a class action mm-hmm. or consumer action which are typically based on uniform representations. So if you're making the same representations about the product across the board, then you're at a lot of risk for a class action or a consumer action. But if you just have a sales rep selling to different distributors and so forth verbally and talking to them and talking it up, there's much less of a risk of a consumer class action. Obviously, if, if, if the distributor is pissed off that the guy lied, you're going to be in trouble for whatever the, the guy said. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and then uh, you know a lot of what we're talking about is, is prevention using your services. Sadly, a lot of people might be uh, catching this video or doing some searching because they've already been pinched and or like they have they're hit with a lawsuit. What's the let's say I have uh, an old tub of pre workout that was just you know when I was a younger knucklehead and I have twenty thousand tubs out there in circulation still and it's got some egregious claims and I got an enemy. He comes after me with a civil suit. Like what is? I, I call you up. Like, what do I do? Like, what is the what is the first thing you do, um, or tell them to do or not do in that case? Well, it would be fact dependent, but obviously, I, I feel like no one knows uh, the ins and outs of civil lawsuits and nutritional supplements and false advertising more than me, uh, having done a lot of them over the last five years. Mm-hmm. So, um, we would be uniquely positioned to help uh, defend those. But we certainly know all the all the elements of the claims and all the defenses. Uh, and so, uh, if you're faced with a situation like that, um, you know we we would we would be uniquely positioned to help out. The problem uh, that I've encountered, being on the other side of it, suing people for it, is that many of the defense counsel have no idea about supplements. They don't even bother to read DSHA. They don't even know what supplements are legal or not. So, and and lawyers will just take your money. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you've. I don't know if you've noticed, but all the jokes are true. <laughs> you know, um, lawyers will do whatever. Of course, not all lawyers are like that, but I've seen it happen before where people will just milk milk someone until they're broke and then move on. And so they're, they're not 
if they don't know about the subject matter, if they don't know about supplements, uh, if they don't know what the regulatory landscape looks like, they're going to be they're going to do a worse job uh, defending you. And so I've encountered time and time again where I had to explain to the other side. And mind you, they don't listen to me because I'm the other side. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said, you look it up yourself. Like this, this is what the rules are, and you know some of them do, and and realize it. Those that have their client's best interest at heart, which many attorneys do. I mean, we're supposed to. That's the whole idea. But um, some don't. Some don't for whatever reason. And um, you know, there's a financial incentive for them not to, obviously. Yes, you got to get a lawyer, no matter what the situation is. You got to get a lawyer who's familiar with your specific niche. You don't want just like a trial lawyer or someone who's good talking in court. You need someone who's actually good at this business segment. Yeah, we've we have a fantastic track record when it comes to defense cases. We've won every defense case we've ever ever done. Uh, typically, we resolve it quickly because that is the best interest of the client. Right. In in a lot of cases, it's not hard to reach a compromise uh, when you understand the subject matter. So are you are you all supplements then at the at the firm? Like how many people are there? Um, you're in LA. You got to have some other specialties now. We do actually. We have we're developing a lot of different specialties. Uh, fashion law, which you wouldn't know oh. from, from my wardrobe, but we've been successful uh, in getting some great results for uh, clients in the fashion world. Um, also, uh, we do uh, food law and foods as well, in mm-hmm. addition to supplements and cosmetics as well. Um, so, um, a lot of these things apply to many consumer products in terms of false advertising, but, um, uh, more often than not, we're brought in to try cases. I mean, just two weeks ago I was brought in uh, for a seven day jury trial here in LA and that's another specialty we have. So in addition to the supplements, you know, we have eight attorneys, we have a lot of different, uh, areas in which we specialize in, uh, in addition to specifically false advertising and supplements. We have uh, fashion law, which is a lot of the same elements, when, depending on what the dispute is about. That's what I was going to ask. Give me real quickly, like what's a, what's an example of false advertising with a pair of pants or something like that? Well, typically in the fashion world, it, it has to do with knockoffs. Ah, and, okay. Like uh, trademark and copyright law, right? which is a really interesting area of law. But uh, designers, for example, will design a product, it'll catch on, and then, you know, very very quickly, you'll see knockoffs pop up as soon as. So that's a that's a that's a ver, pretty well developed but interesting area of law, nuanced area of law uh, that we've had to deal with. Uh, also, partnership disputes, which it really doesn't matter the business, but typically when you have uh, it often happens when you have two partners and they're just dispute about ownership or something like that. Um, we've been able to come in and help out. Uh, in those situations, which are very common, and um, because when people start companies, be it, let's just say a supplement company, they may not paper it up everything really formally because they don't even know if they're going to be successful or not. And um, there's an old saying that says the worst thing that can happen when you have two partners is in a business is that they are unsuccessful, and the second worst thing is that that they're successful. <laughs> Because inevitably people get jealous and these human emotions come out and they are um, they, they, they come about in the form of litigation, unfortunately. Yep. Choose your wife, choose your business partner properly for sure. Um, okay. I don't know if I have a whole lot of other questions here. Uh, 
Yeah, maybe at some point, yeah, we could. Oh, I forgot to mention, maybe I'll put this in the beginning of the video. It's April 9th of 2019. Um, so, yeah, that's why there's been a lot of, whole lot of movement with the whole CBD thing. Uh, do you have anything else to add or anything? That was uh, pretty informative and, and interesting, too. Like, I, I, I'm, we're going to have to hold you to task and see if, like, this whole civil suit thing uh, does increase. And I'm guessing it will, just because it will. But it, hopefully... Uh, Hopefully it's it'll be good to see you on the other side of that, and if nothing else, then maybe we could just uh, have people retain you just so you don't come after them yourself. But no, bad joke. That was a uh, um, really uh, yeah. I, I think I think it'll be kind of in a way sad to see that, but if you do have people getting crazy, and uh, I don't know, it's it, it's tough when I see like you know I want to have a lot of freedom, but at the same time. I, I can't – I don't like to live in a world – I don't like DNP, for instance. And uh, we do have an article kind of coming up about some of the dangers of that. And it's just like I don't want to see anyone selling that stuff. It's fertilizer. It's just not – it's not good for human consumption. It's too risky. And um, I, I don't know. I, I do believe in a, some sort of governmental role, maybe less than most people. But I, I don't want to be in a world where DNP is being ingested on the regular uh, by people who don't know exactly what they're doing. So anyway, that's my little mini rant. But um, – but yeah, it, it will, will, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the civil cases, if nothing else. I would agree with you. I think it's just part of the maturity of the industry. You have to remember this is something people ingest. So to think that people can be free to do whatever they want, it's not like you're protesting in front of the Supreme Court or something like that. Like You're giving stuff people that people are consuming. So there should be regulation on that, bottom line. People are dying from PTMP. Um, yeah. There's a lot, actually, that have, unfortunately. And it's, uh, you know... That part, that part is very tragic, but the lawsuits and everything are part of every every mature industry has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So not nothing new, and and I think uh, in the supplement industry the perspective is that um, you know antagonistic to really what what happens in a normal business, and whether or not it's just a a pesky lawsuit or it's just a shakedown or what what have you, uh, it's 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 part of growing up. And uh, I think it's part, you're going to see, that's why I think you're going to see a whole lot more of it in the supplement industry is there's going to be a lot more uh, lawsuits because there's going to be just a whole lot more recognition of the size of the industry. Gotcha. Understood. And in that case, then I, I, I guess it's, you know, my advice to you is it's, it, and you already know a lot of this, but it's, it's popular and it's important to stay on top of the trends you know and you you see vegan growing and you see keto growing and that's kind of and i'm not sure where that would go with supplements but keto is kind of moving into a more carnivore centric a lot of more you know, meats kind of coming back which is uh something that, that gets me fired up but um and so yeah it's it's fun to watch these trends and you're going to see it's good to be ahead of them because you know that there's going to be people, you know, companies jumping in and they don't always know the right language and they don't even know, you know, how to, what a vegan really needs. And so there's a, there's a whole lot of claims that can be screwed up there. So it's just something to stay on top of. There's a ton of stuff there. Um, you know, there's a, uh, I mean, there, there are a ton of mistakes uh, being made uh, all the time. And the question is whether the people are doing wrong whether they care to fix them. And if they do, um, you know, that's, that's the service we want to provide so yeah, that cool. people can, can, can run a business honestly in a mature industry. Gotcha. All right. Well, Robert Toller of the uh, Toller Smith LLP in California, Los Angeles. Right. And, um, yeah, well, thank you so much for, for joining us here. Uh, this is some good stuff that we, we definitely wanted to get out there. And I think, um, if, if nothing else, people should understand that 
it's worth if you're gonna really get after this it's worth at least like getting a getting a little check and if you're coming in and watching this video from a, a different industry it's it's still the same the same rules apply uh you know you could probably help out with with supplements food cosmetics fashion and stuff but hey if, if you're talking about golf clubs and there's some weird set of laws with golf clubs i don't even know um i don't you know i don't know what kind of drama the golf club industry has i'm sure they have their own because it's a mature industry then you might want to find someone who knows these specific things um because it's it, it's it, it gets murky out there and there's drama in all these different industries we just have our own set of it i would agree thank you so much again for having me on here it's cool thanks fun. for educating us and uh hope to do it again yeah you're gonna have to if, if we have some sort of like good like breaking point or stopping point with cvd i think that would be a good next video i know a lot of people are interested in that even though i'm not not i'm not constantly talking about that here but I, the law part of it it is interesting to me it, it's uh you know it's it's moving so fast uh you can hardly keep up and you know they the head of the fda was recently uh resigned yeah. so he was moving forward with a with a very specific set of guidelines but now he's gone so it's it's good one of these things where eventually the dust is going to settle but in the meantime it's uh pretty much the wild wild west yeah gotcha all right well thanks for joining us and uh and yeah, anyone can subscribe to the channel. We'll have links in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, we'll have links in the description to your website and probably embed this into a, a blog post as well. But uh, most of the, yeah, everything will be going to your website, which is, can you repeat it audio for audio? Tallersmith.com, T-A-U-L-E-R-S-M-I-T-H. All right. And is there anywhere else to find you or is it mostly through the web? Uh, I'm sure I'll turn up somewhere. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks again. And uh, signing out right now. Welcome to Price Plow.